0: Well, that was so fun. Thank you to the kids and the kids' ministry for that very fun Christmas pageant. Highlight of the year, for sure. We are in a Christmas sermon series called Oh Come Let Us Adore Him, and each week of Advent, we are looking at a line from that famous Christmas hymn. And so the first week, we looked at, O come all ye faithful, and we asked, who are ye faithful? And then last week, we looked at joyful and triumphant. What does that mean? And today, we're going to look at, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. And in order to look at that, we're going to talk about three things. Math, herding cattle, and Bethlehem. So that's the map. Math cattle herding, and then Bethlehem. So first, can we talk about math for a minute? Anybody here remember learning about bounded sets and centered sets in school? Yeah, all right. So a bounded set kind of looks like this. You've got uh, some dots outside and some dots inside. A centered set is about trajectory. It's about movement. And this picture kind of represents two different approaches to church two different philosophies on a faith community like ours, Uh, the predominant view of church in the world is typically uh, represented by a bounded set, you could say. So in a bounded set way of thinking, uh, we create a boundary, usually a theological border, a doctrinal fence, and separate those who are inside the fence from those who are out kind of an us-and-them mentality. Everyone inside is welcomed, loved, uh, accepted, and those on the outside of the fence are kept away until they uh, their beliefs and their behaviors fit in. So this type of set is static. It is about the boundaries. Christians or Christ followers in this paradigm are the people who affirm the right beliefs um, and those who don't are not. A couple of problems with the bounded set thinking. It is hard to pinpoint. I I ought to caveat this. Hard to pinpoint. You can read this um, idea in different um, books. 30 years ago, there was a missiologist, a missionary, um, studying how do people come to faith and what does that look like in the context of a community. And he wrote extensively on this. Maybe the first person, too, but many, many people have since. Um, But in a bounded set, um, the problem is... uh, You know, we have people who are in um, the circle, but they're actually moving away from Christ likeness. So perhaps they have prayed a prayer or affirmed the right doctrines, but when it comes to the fruit of God's Holy Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self control they might be in but actually moving away from Christ-likeness. In a bounded set, the natural focus is actually on the perimeter. It is kind of this idea of how far is too far before you're outside the bounds. And people focus on who is doing what in order to determine who's crossed beyond the perimeter and who hasn't. people in a bounded set way of thinking tend to gravitate toward the perimeter kind of in order to exercise the most perceived freedom without becoming a backslider. So this is the bounded set view of Christian, of of church. Uh, An alternative view to the bounded set is a centered set. This type of set is not static, it is dynamic. It's all about movement in a particular direction. So Christ followers are those moving towards Jesus rather than away from Jesus. In a centered set, the emphasis is not on the boundary, the emphasis is on the trajectory. So, Everyone is welcomed, loved. Uh, People can truly belong before they believe. In a centered set, um, the focus is really reversed. Because remember, in a bounded set, the focus is the perimeter. And people are like, how far can I get to the edge? How far is too far before I'm outside the bounds? In the centered set, it's really reversed. It is no longer a community focused away from Christ and toward the fringes, but focused on the center, Christ and drawing people to the center. So the emphasis is on the trajectory of the line, not on who's in and who's out. Rather, the question becomes, how are we conforming to the likeness of Christ? It's easy, I think, um, for us to sort of in all things today, including this, to slip into either-or thinking. Like, we just want to say, like, the bounded set is bad and the centered set is good and done with the bounded set and, you know, in with the centered set. Uh, But I think this is more a matter of emphasis than one or the other. Because even in a centered set, discerning people have to ask, what gospel are we moving towards? That requires definition. What Jesus are we moving towards? That requires definition. Uh, So this is really a matter of emphasis more than anything. Uh, We don't want to fall into a trap of like trading one error. C.S. Lewis one time said, the errors of the world come in pairs. So on one hand, in a bounded set, you have an error which is overly rigid boundaries. But if you swing so far the other way, you have no boundaries at all. Instead, what I think the centered set, the heartbeat of it, is that we would, as a church as a faith community, keep coming back to the center, meaning keep coming back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's our center, and that's where we keep returning. Um, So centered sets, bounded sets, that's a little bit of math. Uh, Now can we talk about cattle herding? Cattle herding. OK, did you know uh, the difference between cattle herding here in the United States versus cattle herding, or sometimes you know, animal herding in Australia and Africa? Will we talk about the difference uh, for just a minute. So cattle ranchers here in the US tend to have corrals, perimetered fences, you could say bounded sets to keep cattle in a defined area. In other parts of the world, what happens is not a fence, but a deep well is dug, a watering hole. And the animals come to the water because that's where the life is. So. In Africa, in many cases, um, there will be one watering hole for miles and miles in any direction, and that means that animals that live in that area, they're never going to stray too far from the watering hole because that's where the life is, especially in the dry seasons. And what's really interesting is you will see a very diverse group of animals stay close, animals that would otherwise prey on each other who seem to live in relative peace and harmony around the watering hole. Kind of amazing. This is very different than what happens in the U.S. Because in the U.S., we have a constant, a near constant focus on fences. And the fences break down. And then we have to build the fences up. And so we have the cattle inside the fences. And it's one, you know, it's just the cows. Or it's just the horses. And uh, we go to enormous lengths because it spans such great amounts of land to keep these fences intact. A Western-style corral is kind of like a bounded set. I mean, outside of the fence, you have wild animals. And if one of those wild animals gets inside, it's probably going to get shot, right? Um, If you want to bring a different animal in, you're going to have to break that animal before it comes in. When it comes to these two models of church, I would just say we want to be digging deep wells of robust, missional, worshipful, Christ-centered community that compel people toward Christ. And we talked about math, we talked about cattle herding. Bethlehem is the reason why. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. What do I mean by that? Bethlehem is the place where Jesus was born. And uh, if you join us in 2020 on the Platte Park Pilgrimage, the next one, we will visit Bethlehem. And I've been there a couple times. It's a highlight of the pilgrimage tour of the Holy Land for sure. Bethlehem is the place where Jesus uh, was born. Bethlehem actually means house of bread house of bread. So I just want to look at two people who came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And in looking at them, who they are, how they came, I think we learn some things about who comes to the table of bread and wine each week and how we come. Who comes to God, how we come to God who comes into the community of faith, how we come into the community of faith. So, um, two people, 500 years before the birth of Christ, two women traveled to Bethlehem. Their names, Naomi and Ruth, and this is their story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Ruth and Naomi travel to Bethlehem. Who are they and how do they come? First of all, who are they? One is bitter, one is unbelieving. Both women are broken, torn down by life's circumstances, and they're desperate. So if you're thinking in terms of a bounded set, you could say Ruth is outside, unbelieving entirely, Naomi is bitter. She is probably moving away from God. She feels betrayed by God. Ruth was a foreigner, completely different worldview. So bitter Naomi, foreigner Ruth, they're both welcomed to the house of bread. They are both welcomed to Bethlehem. And it is there that God heals them and nourishes them. It is there that God makes them whole again in the context of community. So we have to look at this aspect of Ruth being a foreigner because this is an immigrant story. It's interesting, in chapter one, Ruth is four chapters long. In chapter one and at the end of the story, chapter four, in both places, she's referred to as Ruth the Moabite. And there is convincing evidence to say that she did not shed her Moabiteness, culturally speaking, as she came into this community. Uh, Despite being a prominent member of the community by the end of the story, I mean, thousands of years later, her Moabite, cultural distinctive, her immigrant story, carries on as like a hallmark, a defining characteristic of the book of Ruth, and it is a reminder to all of us that the call to follow Christ, the call to God's table, the call to be the church, is not a call to sameness. We're not called to shed our cultural differences. Instead, we're called to embrace a common baptism in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our unifying identity. But it is a diverse flourishing of community. It's interesting, at the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, John of Patmos is talking about his vision of the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation at the end of time. In Revelation 7, this is the picture he paints. This is what he says. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's going to look like a... A diverse choir. That is the picture that is painted. So who comes? Bitter, unbelieving, foreigner. How do they come? They come first of all through famine, through hardship, through the fact that life is not working out so well. And the same is true for us. Richard Rohr said, we do not come to God by doing everything right but by doing it wrong. They come through famine, through hardship, through the fact that life is not going well. The first line in the book of uh, Ruth is, in the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. And it's interesting to see their movement from Bethlehem to Moab and back to Bethlehem and to just observe there that the problems go you know, with them. Sometimes we tend to think that if we just change the furniture on the deck of our lives, like the problems will go away. But sometimes it's not the house so much as the heart. Uh, Sometimes we will flee a job or flee a town or flee a church because we think it's going to solve the problems in our lives only to find the problems follow us to the new place. I mean, how often do I think, ah, if I just had this different set of circumstances, things would be different. And sometimes when I go change the circumstances and I put all my energy into those externals, I come to realize I basically have just delayed, I have distracted myself from the internal journey I was being invited on. And if I would have just stayed put for a minute, maybe I could have gone on that journey. You know that journey of growing up? The journey of shedding the ego, the journey of entering the second half of life? And sometimes we just want to mix it up and shake it up and go on to something different, because all the energy of the first half of life, about building an ego, about achieving and proving, it just keeps going into the second half. Ruth Haley Barton said this about stability. She said, stability, it's an interesting practice for us Protestants who are most accustomed to leaving our communities when the going gets tough. Starting another denomination when we disagree over doctrine or practice, shopping for a church like we shop for a house, only it seems we leave our churches more frequently than we leave our houses these days, she says. In the monastic tradition, the vow of stability is central, central to a rule of life person promises to remain in that particular monastic community for life and to be shaped by the rhythms of that particular community. This commitment is understood as laying one's life down in its entirety, placing it in the hands of God. If we say to ourselves we will stay committed as long as commitment stays exciting and devoid of suffering, we're not fully committed. It takes discernment to determine, am I just changing for change's sake because I think if I change, my problems won't, there'll be no problems over here? Or am I changing because of God's calling on my life, God's movement? This is something to discern. This is something uh, that takes prayerful community consideration. So how did they come They came because of famine. Also, when it comes to Ruth, Ruth came because of relationship. Probably the most famous line in this book uh, about their journey to Bethlehem is when Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth's choice to follow Naomi was more out of relational devotion than it was religious devotion. It was her relationship with Naomi that brought her to the house of bread, that brought her to Bethlehem. She was invited to belong before she believed. And her coming to faith in Yahweh worship was more of a process that happened in the context of deeply bonded community. And it's the same way around here. We invite people to follow God in the way of Jesus. We invite people to God's table, irrespective of where they are in their journey. And we allow people to belong before they believe, trusting it's God's Holy Spirit forming all of us along the way. So they came Because of famine, they came because of relationship. And then lastly, they came hungry. Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because they were hungry. And that is also how we come to God today. Hunger, your hunger for God, it's one of the most important things to pay attention to in your journey with the Lord. To notice where your hunger for God is fanned into flame and to follow that thread and to ask God for more of that. Because when you are hungry for God, you just want more and more and more of God. It is not work. It is not how we often think of spiritual disciplines. Because you just want more and more and more of God. I spent some time with a spiritual director this past year. And after our retreat, people would just ask me, like, how to go? how to go? And all I could really say was my desire for God is so much greater after that retreat and that time. To such an extent that for some time after that retreat, my natural physical body clock was just, like, waking me up at 4 a.m., It's unusual for me. I just was like waking up naturally, and I just wanted to go sit in my chair and let the Lord love me. There was a hunger, an increased hunger. We need to just pay attention to where that happens, and even that desire is a gift from God. It's not a formula like, oh, you do these things, and then you're going to have more. Even the desire itself is a gift from God. But I think in our lives, it's just good to pay attention. Where is my hunger increasing? To follow that thread, to notice that, to pay attention. And to ask God for more desire, for a greater hunger. So who came to Bethlehem? Bitter ones, unbelieving ones, foreigners. How did they come? They came because of famine, came through relationship, and came hungry, and that is also who comes here. It is those of us who, at times, are bitter, are wandering, are full of doubt. Right here we come. We come because of famine in our own lives. We come because of hunger, and we seek together to find our nourishment in the one who says, I want to satisfy your desires with good things. We're such an addicted society, but you know, addiction's not really the problem. Addiction is like our solution to the problem. And when we come together, what we're doing is we're coming together to dine with the one who says, I want to satisfy your desires with good things. And as we come to him the one who says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. All you who are heavy burdened. And then, as we come to him, we can sing, and we can sing wholeheartedly. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come ye, come ye to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you for your presence, that no matter uh, how we come, you invite us to come to you. And God, I pray that more and more you would make us into people and into a community focused on you, that when we're looking for definition, our definition would be your life, your death, and your resurrection over and over and over again. Thank you that no matter where we're at, you welcome us to come. And so we do. We come. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.